Hey guys, it's Chase with csjoseph.life to another episode for season 22. This is episode 11 for season 22. Uh, what are the cognitive transitions of INTJs, also known as ranger types, according to the type grid 3.0? Uh, so we've been talking about uh, during season 22 uh, the various cognitive transitions and how uh, basically what they look like. Uh, the reason why is because not very many people understand what cognitive transitions are and it comes from something known as inverse theory or inversing, right? It's a concept that uh, was first introduced to me by my INFJ mentor and uh, basically the concept is, is that you can actually become one of the other four sides of your mind by taking your cognitive function stack and then flipping it upside down and then you've inverse basically into becoming you know your subconscious however the cognitive transition into your unconscious is a little bit different it's more of a bled through cognitive orbit and then going through the various gateways and then you end up just shifting uh, down from an introverted extroverted on all of your functions and then you become your unconscious also as your shadow uh, and then obviously the inverse of your shadow is also your superego in as much as you may be able to do a shadow transition into your superego from your subconscious. Mechanically speaking, that's how it works in terms of cognitive transitions. Why is this relevant? It's relevant because there are a lot of people out there, especially in the MBTI blogosphere or various YouTubers, like for example, Frank James, for some reason uh, people believe him, but I mean, uh, when you have a lot of, uh, when you look like you're authentic and you look like you have a lot of credibility, then, you know, people are, have a tendency to believe you without necessarily verifying. However, I've had far more people verify me than probably most of anyone in the MBTI blogosphere has ever experienced. I think that's because I'm right and other people are not right. Uh, because guess what? This community within the CSJ community represents the uh, round earthers and everybody else out there represents the flat earthers. Why is that? Well, I mean, if Galileo can be persecuted for telling everyone that the world was round instead of flat, well, that's basically what's happening to this community within the psychological, the greater psychology community uh, in the world. So, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. Cognitive transitions are important to know because people use the MBTI letter dichotomy system. And this is why, like, I, for example, I answered this question on Quora earlier today on my other YouTube channel, uh, CS Joseph Responds. Check it out, by the way, if you haven't already. Um, like, for example, it was, can someone be an INFJ or an ENFJ? And the answer to that question is just fundamentally no. Like, not even at all. Not even a little, not even a maybe, not even, but it could happen! No, no, it, it doesn't, it's not real, it's not a thing, no. And for some reason people think it is real and they think it is a thing, but it's just, it's not. Um, because people people think like, okay, I'm an NFJ, but sometimes I'm introverted or sometimes I'm extroverted. And then they think that because they have that, they feel that way, they believe that, that that just automatically means they can switch their letters, etc. This is not true. So in the case of an INTJ, it's like, oh, I'm an INTJ, but you know, sometimes I feel more extroverted, so I'm an ENTJ, or sometimes I'm very perceive so you know, that makes me more of an INTP. No, those are completely different types with different cognitive function stacks, similar to these, which are completely different. That's not how it works. Cognitive transitions exist to help people understand, hey, 
you know, you're an INTJ one moment, but you might be an ESFP another. You're an INTJ one moment, but you might be an ENTP another. You're an INTJ one moment, then you might be an ISFJ another, basically. So this is just generally how it works. And you, you, you learn over time as you grow within your life and go through the four stages or the four phases of life where you encounter your various midlife crises. Like midlife crisis is attached to the subconscious. Quarter life crisis is attached to the ego. A three quarter life crisis is attached to the unconscious and the crisis that eventually causes our death for a regular human being life cycle is relating to their superego, etc. We actually talked about this in depth in season 17. If you haven't seen the last two episodes of season 17, episodes 12 and 13, what are you doing with your life? While I understand that they're probably like an hour, hour and a half long piece, it's absolutely worth it because it really delves into how uh, you know the human lifespan works, how these different areas of human development work within the, the cognitive functions, etc. As well as if you really want to go super in depth, you can get all that information on season 19 at csjoseph.life forward slash Patreon, where we talk about that on a regular basis. But regardless, this is why cognitive transitions is important because the more you know about them, the less you, or the more you realize that uh, the MBTI letter dichotomy system is basically crap and not actually accurate. And it's the reason why there's people out there like Ty Lopez saying that MBTI is crap in Hexaco or Big Five is the best when the reality situation is they're absolutely terrible tests subjected to the Barnum effect on a regular basis, which I think is just ridiculous. Whereas this, not so much because we get down to the nitty gritty details of each person's personality type, etc. So with that being said, how do you identify an INTJ? Well, you use the type grade. You don't use those online tests that are only one out of five accurate, which is like really lame and, and annoying. But you utilize the type grade. You can find the type grade at csjoseph.life forward slash type grade. I'm aware that it is the older version. It is the type grade 2.0 and not the 3.0 version. The 3.0 version is available at ultimatemessagingformula.com and it is on sale right now. That entire system is on sale. And I actually had an INTJ businessman message me on Facebook Messenger recently telling me how amazing the ultimate messaging formula is and how it's helped him conduct business, much less have conversations with people that he typically would not have conversations with at all because it doesn't just apply to sales and marketing, it applies to like literally everything and it helps him facilitate communication with other people because he doesn't like social interaction because he's not really aware of the social cues or the social norms of social or interaction due to FE trickster like all INTJs have to struggle with. And then as a result, the ultimate messaging formula equips them to have the most efficient communication possible for those people. Hashtag commercial over. Check it out. Ultimatemessagingformula.com. So anyway, you identify the INTJ through the type grid. And you do this uh, by noting that they are direct, they are responding, and they are progression. Direct means that they don't leave very much up for interpretation. They can often give commands. They're just, as few words as possible, just stating their points and then moving on to the next thing. They're very responding. They like to be kept in the loop. They like it when people come to them. Uh, they don't necessarily like going to other people. They want people to come to them and bring them in the loop. And if they're not, then they start to feel like this other person doesn't think highly of them. The TE parrot gets pissed off. This person doesn't think highly of me. I value myself, but obviously he doesn't think I'm valuable enough to keep me in the loop. And then the INTJ gets all pissed off about it. Well, that's very normal. Uh, they're very progression-oriented uh, or movement-oriented, which means they do they do not do as much planning as like an ENTJ. An ENTJ plans their outcome focus. They plan 
for the best outcome and they make one attempt. They do all the planning for one attempt, whereas an INTJ doesn't really make one attempt per se. They'll make a series of attempts and then, you know, learn as they go. But because they're anti-hero and they're so precise and usually at least somewhat researched enough with their TE parent, they can actually figure it out on their feet and then end up only needing one attempt in some cases or two attempts, even though they didn't really plan for very much, which is amazing because that correlates directly to their purpose in life. The INTJ purpose in life is literally to become the master of any skill. However, if the INTJ does not use that skill, they will they'll lose it. They have to use the skill or they will lose it. Just kind of like learning a language, but like for an INTJ, it's literally everything, which means they're SE inferior and for the rest of their life, they have to practice what they do. If they do not practice, they will lose the skill. But they benefit the most out of everybody uh, for practice, which allows them to be uh, an amazing at performing and they can essentially outperform anyone else out there. In some cases, including INFJs because INFJs have a tendency to allow people or doing the right thing get in the way of their performance, whereas an INTJ is not held back by such limitations. You know what I'm saying? Which means the INTJ can effectively outperform everybody out of all the types, technically speaking, due to the lack of extroverted feeling. Uh, so, you know, this is really important. Now, the virtue and vice, though, of the INTJ, um, other than the fact that, you know, temperamentally speaking, they're also abstract, they're very pragmatic, they do what works, they don't do the right thing, which is what we just talked about. And then also, um, um, so yeah, pragmatic, uh, they're very abstract, and uh, they're very systematic. INTJs are devoted to finding the best way of doing something, um, uh, and they actually have three sides. So they're very systematic, so that's cool. They have one interest-based side, which they need to develop, otherwise people could potentially take advantage of them because they're always focused on the best way to do something, um, which is awesome. But sometimes they're not really aware of what they're going to get out of the situation as much, but they're far more aware of it than I am. And this is why people have taken advantage of me, especially people in this community, uh, on a consistent basis because I'm so focused on finding the best way to do something that I'm not really aware of what other people are getting out of situations, including getting things out of me, which is, or, which is potentially a problem. So, but regardless, INTJs have a little bit of interest awareness and that actually can help them in certain situations, but that also contributes to their expert intuition paranoia, where they are worried about other people not wanting them anymore or having dark intentions towards them. And they also have this fear of abandonment as well, which literally generates this vice of paranoia, where it can actually be a self-fulfilling self prophecy where they assume people are, they, they get paranoid and assume people are going to betray them and then they start making decisions based on that assumption which actually causes people around them to betray them. Thus, you know, they're like, well, wait a minute. So that, that really sucks. Um, but anyway, uh, their, their virtue is to be very trusting um, and, uh, and to put trust in others. Sometimes they can be too trusting and it's like it can lead to gullibility and that's why they have that paranoia factor in there to kind of protect them. But to the ENTPs or the Crusaders of the world, Crusader types, which are built to have the best intimate relationships with INTJs, Crusader types, which are SFJ NTP types, SFJs and NTPs really heavily benefit from being in relationships with INTJs as much as INTJs benefit from them because Crusaders are getting a high amount of trust from the INTJ of which they prove their loyalty that they are very trustworthy and will not betray the INTJ while everyone else basically would potentially. So pretty awesome. Uh, that's what they're basically getting out of it. Um, so anyway, 
And these are the four sides of the mind for, uh, for uh, INTJs with the INTJ ego, the ESFP subconscious, ENTP unconscious, and the ISFJ superego. Now, how do cognitive transitions actually fundamentally work with the INTJs? Well, that's done through the hero function, which is the first gateway. The second gateway is the inferior function. The third gateway is the uh, nemesis, or AKA the villain function. And the uh, fourth gateway, which is the demon function. These are the four gateways, and one must master each of their gateways in order to be able to transition to the other sides of the mind. Now, this is part of the process with which a, a person of any of the individual types ends up. Um, guys, I'm like trying to be like really fast right now because I don't want this lecture to be like super long, and I'm trying to be short to the point. I know that I'm basically failing at that right now, but I'm trying to give it my best. You know what I'm saying? Um, trying to uh, not get too insanely wordy. I've been practicing a lot with shorter lectures recently, as most of you are aware on the other YouTube channel. So anyway, so these three gateways are necessary and they need to be mastered in order to get to transitions. And transitions are important to master as well because you can transition chaotically or you can transition in an orderly manner, right? And this is really, really important because it actually controls your level of personal growth. INTJs are all about optimization. They're all about um, uh, trying to become the best version of themselves. This is one of the reasons, and I'm saying it here, this is probably the first time I've said it on a lecture, but the Buddha was an INTJ, and this is all about trying to be on the path to enlightenment, and no one is more on the path to enlightenment than an INTJ. A lot of people think it's actually INFJs that are more on the path to enlightenment, yeah, sure, but the reality of the situation is it's actually INTJs who, who are doing it. The reason why it comes from their inner divinity, from their FI child. They're trying to find the highest level of morality and moral values and principles uh, and live their life by those principles than anyone else. And INFJ actually has a hard time developing those principles because their principles are actually in their critic slot and they are so critical that they end up pricing them out of being able to have decent principles, whereas the FI child can have absolutely amazing principles. However, because of experted sensing, there can be a problem with that, which we'll get to in a second. Um, hashtag God complex. So anyway, uh, these are the four gateways. These are necessary uh, to master in order to master cognitive transitions. You have to master cognitive transitions to be able to use all four sides of your mind in a healthy way instead of an unhealthy way. Because the more you use them in health away, the more the four sides your mind wants to integrate. More on that in season 19. Again, csjoseph.life forward slash Patreon. It goes a lot deeper about enlightenment and cognitive integration and bringing these four sides of the mind together because they start out disjointed. But for the purpose of this lecture, we're going to be just discussing transitions. So we have the hero function, uh, which is where uh, the hero function is basically where you know someone has irresponsibility versus responsibility to, to a point, um, even though the parent function itself as an attitude is where a person's real sense of personal responsibility is, but it's it's kind of uh, it's kind of something like when you're looking at just like the individual functions, it's not really um, it's the gateway to begin the process of developing personal responsibility, and it ends the process by developing the parent. Remember, the hero function comes first when a child is born, for example, and they're developing their ego. Child function is second. And then the inferior function is third because it's on an axis with the hero. And then the parent function is fourth. It's the last function to develop in the cognitive stack because it is on an axis with the child. Why in the hero and child first? It's because they're both optimistic functions 
Whereas these two functions here are pessimistic, so they develop last in a person's ego. A person's ego is fully formed around adolescence. And when you're typing children using the type grid, they present as their subconscious usually. So if I was going to type an INTJ, they usually present as an ESFP. The younger they are, the older they get, the more they actually present like their ego, right? This is something that we discussed heavily in season 17. Uh, the last two episodes specifically uh, in season 17, very, very important for everyone to review, especially INTJs, to come to a higher um, awareness as to how this actually works. Um, but fair enough. So anyway, the hero function is the first gateway. And basically, if someone is using the hero function in, an, in, an, in a chaotic manner, uh, which is basically the default, they come off as very irresponsible. And this leads to what Dave Superpowers refers to as cognitive looping. My, my mentors taught me about cognitive looping years ago. It's basically the parent function is underdeveloped, and the INTJ makes decisions based on what they want and what they feel like doing, regardless of what other people would think of them, regardless of their status, regardless of their reputation. They would just make decisions based on what they feel like, what their mood is, and what they want. Probably why INTJs oftentimes you know, end up becoming insanely unhealthy, and another reason why INTJs almost always have zero sleep schedule whatsoever, and because of that, their introvert-sensing demon ends up consuming them from the inside out. Uh, that's the reason why, is because they have no circadian rhythm, which creates horrifying uh, uh, diseases or problems in their life. However, if an INTJ isn't in a relationship with an introverted sensor, that's very healthy for them because they basically are using that other, their extroverted sensing is locking into the introverted sensing of the person, and then they're able to have uh, their body clock is attached to that person's, and then they're able to uh, borrow that person's body clock and mirror it, basically, and adopt the other person, the introverted sensor's body clock, so they themselves can have a circadian rhythm. But if they are just around by themselves, they're going to stay up all night and think they can get through the entire day and use their willpower to get through those things, which they typically can, but then eventually that behavior will catch up with them and they'll find themselves having, you know, cancer, among other inflammatory or chronic illnesses, obesity, and the like. If you want to learn more about that, I highly recommend checking out Dr. Eric Berg's channel, B-E-R-G, on YouTube. Uh, he talks about... Uh, the, uh, the, the, more, the many fat loss hormones and the uh, many uh, that you can stimulate or the, uh, um, the fat storage hormones that you can stimulate, often which INTJs are completely unaware that they're stimulating the wrong hormones all the time. And then it also causes them to age, it causes them to get obesity, which makes them super hyper insecure uh, with their SE inferior because they really care about aesthetics more than anybody else. So one of the reasons why Doc Antle, in the recent Tiger King documentary released by Netflix and directed by Eric Good, he is an INTJ. If you just watch every episode inside that, you see his SE inferior come out where he's so insecure around the camera, trying to direct people and tell people how to shut up the shops so that he doesn't look bad because he's afraid of looking bad and being and losing status and, and performing poorly in front of the camera, etc. I think Eric Good was very sneaky in capturing uh, Doc Antle's insecurities and then displaying it for everybody in public. That must have been a huge hit for Doc Antle. And given that he has ISFJ super ego, I imagine Doc Antle will be suing Netflix or suing Eric Good in the very near future uh, because that documentary was filmed, at least as he claims, under false pretenses. And you never, uh, vengeance taken out by an INTJ can be absolutely severe. Uh, because that ISFJ demon that lives inside their heads is extremely vengeful. 
So I really am wondering how exactly Bhagavan Doc Antle, the INTJ, uh, will be responding as a result of that documentary. However, rumor has it his home was raided in December 2019 as a result of that documentary. So things are getting really interesting for Mr. Antle, so I'll be definitely watching and keeping my eye on that as things progress. Perhaps we'll be able to do a, uh, a follow-up episode uh, with me and Jay Ackley on uh, the live stream to discuss Mr. Antle and his uh, current or recent exploits. Anyway, so back to the transitions. So really, the first gateway, when you master it, you want to use it in a more controlled way, which allows someone to develop their personal responsibility, and then they're able to transition to their INTJ ego from a standpoint of personal responsibility. And this is when this is when the INTJ realizes that there are social consequences to their actions. And then their NI hero starts to see into their own future, and they're like, they realize, ooh, if I make this decision, people are going to think less of me, so yeah, I don't want to do that anymore. Whereas before, they'd be like, ooh, I'm in the mood for making this decision, and then they just impulsively jump on that decision. The problem is, is that they become aware that they lose status, they lose reputation, people think less of them, so they're like, okay, yeah, I don't want to do that anymore. As a result, their TE parent starts to develop, and they have, at last, their INTJ ego in place. And that INTJ ego is able to, um, you know, uh, it, is, it, is, it is used responsibly, and they're, they're working pretty decently. Uh, now, the inferior function, which we've lightly touched on already, is the second gateway, and that's where a person's fear exists. And fear is really interesting for INTJs because... It's the same fear INFJs have, and we talk about INFJs a lot. We talk about how they have TI child god complex, but in you know using Bhagavan, uh, which is an interesting name, um, a very arrogant title or name uh, that Doc Antle has, or he's causing him Doc, etc. I don't even know if he really is a doctor. Who knows? Uh, but uh, these these little titles and whatnot uh, all serve to make a child feel better about itself. And this ends up creating, because of this insecurity, this performance insecurity, it's like, hey, I'm going to gather titles and status symbols around me so that it looks like I'm a high performer, and then I'm going to have these titles to make it look like I'm a very valuable person. Because the child is like, it's a child, it's a little kid, it wants to be, it always wants to feel like it's a very important person at all times. And... This ends up creating FI-child God complex. The reason why is because the inferior gateway, it's also like an infant, it has a huge amount of fear. And this is why INTJs walk around with performance anxiety because when they're chaotically using their second gateway and shifting into their ESFP subconscious, basically through cognitive transition into their ESFP subconscious, they're very afraid to perform badly. And this creates a huge amount of performance anxiety. And as a result of this performance anxiety, it leads to pride. And pride sets into the FI child, and then they start behaving like um, FI child God complex. This is why INTJs end up like claiming they're the, you know, they know they're the top performers, but they like rubbing it in everyone's faces with their flashy cards, their flashy titles, my titles, my credibility, my status, my reputation. Even if it gets to the point where they have to steal their people's ideas in order to make them look good, right? I don't know how many times I've seen INTJs cheating in school and stealing other kids' ideas or other people's ideas for the sake of their own personal success and then passing it off as if it was theirs all along when the reality situation is it wasn't. 
INTJs are probably the number one violator of plagiarism out there, actually. Uh, I would say so. They are the number one plagiarists of all the 16 types. And really it comes down to that performance anxiety and it's faster, you know, as a Wayfarer because Wayfarer types, which are NTJs and SFPs, have a tendency to steal or pirate things uh, specifically. At least they're not like, you know, the philosophers who sacrifice their fellow human beings for the sake of their own agenda, whereas the INTJs, they're pirates. You know, take what you can, give nothing back. At least that's the more immature side. Eventually, they realize they're, through hard work, they don't have to steal anymore. And if they just do the research, if they actually spend the time and the effort, and because they can master any skill, they don't have to steal from anybody. They can actually come to all those conclusions and do all that work on their own, and they can actually produce their own treasure and find their own treasure instead of taking it from somebody else, right? For example, ideas from somebody else when they're potentially cheating at school, when they're working on their doctorate or working on their master's or what have you, right? So, but you know, this fear, this fear is a really hard thing to get over. But once they get over this fear, this ESFP subconscious starts developing and gets a little bit more mature. And it's instead of having this FI child God complex, uh, they actually become a lot more humble in their morality. And then as a result, they become an absolutely amazing top performer where they can perform well at literally everything. Any mechanical practice. I've talked about dancing plenty of times. I know an IS, INTJ race car driver, a street racer, who's absolutely incredible. Uh, he, uh, he lives in Yuba City, uh, California, and that guy has a souped-up uh, Subaru, and oh my gosh, he's, he's, it's amazing. I mean, just riding in that car with him, it, it's, it's, it's exquis it, it is exquisite. Um, so I, I'm very happy uh, to have known him and, uh, and seeing his work of art that is his car. Uh, also, INTJs are amazing comedians. Um, the guy who uh, um, played, I think, Chow in The Hangover, etc., the Asian dude, he is, uh, he's an INTJ and he's hilarious, you know what I'm saying? Rush Limbaugh is an INTJ. He's a radio broadcaster, right? It's all about, you know, entertainment, etc. INTJs can become so entertaining. While they can look like academics, they are amazing intellectuals that can master any skill. But when they take that skill to performing and entertaining, no one can beat them. It's and, and, and that includes that usually includes aesthetics, that includes the sound of their voice, even singing. Uh, I even know like a few INTJ rockers who it's like, wow, that's pretty awesome. Um, I think there was actually Trent Reznor, I believe, is an INTJ. I think we actually typed him on the live stream, Trent Reznor. Uh, and he's got developed ESFP subconscious and he's using he's getting over his fear and realizing that he actually can perform because he realized the truth that practice makes perfect. So that's the secret. You guys want to get over your fear? Practice makes perfect, right? And then we have the INTJ's worry, which we talked about. They're worried about other people not wanting them anymore or not wanting them in general. They're worried about other people's intentions. They're worried about being betrayed. They're worried about the consequences of other people's actions negatively impacting their future. So they're constantly worried about the greater future and how it's going to affect them personally. And uh, it's basically as a result of a huge amount of uncertainty. They're very uncertainty about the grand future because they always want to make sure that their future, they always have their freedom of choice, but they realize that other people's choices and other people's futures may take away from their freedom of choice, which can be a serious problem for INTJs. And they worry about this, and rightfully so, they should worry about this. And this is where their paranoia comes from when it comes to their virtue and vice. It's all about paranoia.
So to get over this, they just have to become more certain and realize that it doesn't matter what happens or what could happen. This is like literally Murphy's Law right here. They literally have Murphy's Law built into their heads. And it's like, well, what can happen will happen. Positive or negative, by the way, guys. Murphy's Law is a neutral law. It is not just negative only. It's positive and negative. Make sure you pay attention to that, okay? Murphy's Law, right? They have a built-in Murphy's Law. It's kind of cool that INTJs have built-in Murphy's Law. I, I, th I, think, that's, I think that's amazing. Um, but the point is, is that... They can use this Murphy's Law to the advantage because at first, when they're using their Murphy's Law, it's very negative. So they assume what bad or what can go wrong will go wrong, and they make that assumption and they overly hedge against it. However, just like quantum mechanics teaches us, if you observe a pro if you observe a probability, you are actually affecting that probability directly and making it more likely to occur, right? And this happens to INTJs all the time. If they observe a probability, they actually end up bringing it into reality. And they, they just and they have no control over this. So they have to realize is that regardless of what probabilities they actually observe, they need to make sure that they're stopping to make decisions because they have to realize that regardless of what comes with them, they can tactfully, not just strategically, but also tactfully see Strategically, it's all about looking at the future and hedging as much as possible. If they over-strategize with what could possibly come to them, they're actually going to lose. You, can't, you can only strategize so much. They need to use their expert sensing performance capabilities, get over their performance anxiety, and then as a result of getting over their performance anxiety, realize that they become less of a strategist when dealing with their worries, and then become less of a strategist, and then become a tactician so that they realize that their mind can literally plot a course to get them out of any situation that comes and hits them right in front of their face. So they end up realizing that they could switch between a strategist into a tactician in order to help them get over their worry, right? And it helps them make them more certain. So they just have to realize that, hey, I should be more certain in my ability to get through any situation, which is what NI Hero is all about. It really absolutely can get through any situation. And as a result of that, they become more certain and less paranoid and allow themselves to be trusting and realizing that, hey, if I trust this guy and he screws me, I'll be fine because I'll still be able to get out of it no matter what. That's awesome. And by the way, if they're responsible for their TE parent, they'll make sure the fine print reflects that as well so they don't find their asses in court. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, that is the second gateway that allows them to use ENTP unconscious in a more responsible way and realize that the fates of other people, yeah, it affects them, but they will always be able to find a way to get out of it. You know? And then after they have uh, mastered the three gateways, they have the final gateway, which is the demon. This is where a person's hatred exists. And this usually happens when people have abandoned the INTJ and they feel so abandoned it creates hatred, right? This creates a lot of hatred. Uh, the best example of that happening to me in my life is, um, you know, someone... Uh, I guess technically my ex-girlfriend because but we only have like one date for example but um, she perceived that I abandoned her which is not true she actually betrayed me but whatever um, she lied uh, but uh, it's like it's like catfishing almost but anyway uh, the point is is that uh, the inferior function is so afraid of being abandoned, and they work really, really hard to make sure that you know they're not abandonable, basically. Uh, and they think that 
high performance leads to loyalty, right? And so, uh, for example, this INTJ in my life became indignant. And indignant means um, reacting negatively as a result of perceived unfair treatment. So this INTJ perceives that I treated them unfairly, and then they assume or accuse me of abandoning them, which causes their SI demon hatred to activate, and then they think they're meeting out justice upon me with their hatred. Too bad I have introverted sensing aspirational and can outlast that. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, how much willpower is going to be pumped into me to uh, <laughs> to 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 see their revenge through, right? When it's like I, you know, I'm just I'm not going away. What do you want me to do? I'm I'm going to continue to do my work, and I'm going to be my own person, and who cares? Like, this is completely unnecessary. Uh, also, another INTJ in my life who used to work with me also perceived that I betrayed them, and then all of a sudden I find them telling all of our friends how much of a piece of crap I am, and how much I, you know, I'm not trustworthy, and I don't know what I'm talking about, and going out of his way to discredit me and my work and all of these things, when in reality the situation is he was just butthurt about, uh, you know, because he assumed that I was abandoning him when the reality situation was I was actually calling him out on poor performance and, you know, it's like, dude, you can't work with me anymore because your performance is terrible. Like, everybody knows it. But he got really upset in the process and then he assumed that, you know, and then his paranoia came in, well, you didn't want me all along to begin with and you were just abandoning me, so I hate you now and I'm going to work to have revenge on you and destroy you because I'm using my chaotic transition with my demon function. It's like, okay, very mature, but I guess that's what you get when you have FI child god complex, you know what I'm saying, which really is annoying. Uh, but the reality situation, that's not really true. Now, however... I forgive these people. I forgive all these INTJs who've had this point of view with me, including INFJs. I had another, I had a, an INFJ on my team that did the same thing to me recently as well. Uh, and he got indignant. All these people are getting indignant and they are reacting negatively and accusing me as a result of perceived unfair treatment. They perceive that I am treating them unfairly, when in reality is I am actually treating them fairly. And I would know because, like, I'm a crusader type, and crusader types are all about fairness, right? So, you know, they become indignant, and then the SI demon holds hatred, and then again comes in the revenge factor, and it's like, okay, wow, way to, like, spend your life on meaninglessness, and when you could have actually been focusing on being, like, actually productive, and then maybe realizing why you weren't wanted and why uh, you may not have been performing well. Because it's not that I was being disloyal to these people, it's just that their performance was terrible and or they were untrustworthy. And I removed them from my life because my SI inferior requires personal safety, right? But they seem to be okay with disrespecting my safety and then after they've been removed from my life, then they go all ISFJ superego, get all vengeful because they're indignant, and then it's like, oh, thank you for proving my SI inferior about you all along. You see what I'm saying? It's a self-fulfilling prophecy, and these INTJs aren't even aware of the self-fulfilling prophecy most of the time, because they just get so in the moment, and they get so butthurt that their SI inferior got caught for performing badly when they should have been practicing all along and actually taking it seriously, but they weren't, and then they got caught, and then they were removed. That's not to say all INTJs do this. Some INTJs are amazing top performers. 
I have one INTJ who is on my team right now who is an amazing top performer, and it is my honor to have him on the team, and I really, really appreciate him. He, he has amazing ideas, very powerful opinion. Uh, he, has, he does not have FI child God complex, thank God. Uh, very humble FI child if I've ever met him. He doesn't really have performance anxiety, although sometimes I will admit that I have stomped on his SE inferior because I was stupid and said some stupid things, and it made him think or believe uh, that I was that I had a problem with his performance. When the reality situation was, I didn't. I was more concerned about my own personal experience, but that was also me technically being selfish with my SI inferior at that moment, and I really shouldn't have. So, to which, sir, if you are watching this, I sincerely apologize for all those times. However, I very much appreciate all the hard work that you do for us here in the CSJ community. Uh, it is exquisite, and uh, thank you very much, and we're very happy to have you here. Um, so, uh, but, uh, but again, you know, SI Demon, you know, it takes a long time for INTJs to kind of get over this hatred because of people who have stomped on their SE inferior. Well, I forgive all the INTJs who have done this to me, all of them, like literally all of them. I, I forgive them. Um, one, because I have to be forgiven too, but at the same time, I forgive them also because I know that as an INTJ develops in their life and their demon function is developing, is that eventually they come to realize that, you know what, yeah, I probably was being fake, yeah, I know I was lying, I even admitted that I was lying, you know, yeah, I just tried to make it look like I was the ultimate catch, or yeah, I was trying to make it look like I was performing well, or maybe I was believing my own lies about performing well, my performance was absolutely terrible, and yeah, I guess I guess I really would have been let go if, uh, if I was in uh, Chase's position too. And so then after a while, they end up, you know, uh, realizing that, you know, they were incorrect and they're willing to take responsibility for their actions eventually, because their TE parent will come to realize, yeah, it's technically true. I did that, but I don't need to do that anymore, right? And then after a while, they'll end up starting to love. So instead of trying to get revenge against me, they'll try to actually defend me and, uh, or, and defend others like me, etc defend other people who have actually harmed their SE inferior because they realize that those were the most harshest, biggest lessons for these INTJs to actually learn in their life. Abandonment, even though it's the most painful thing to an INTJ, sometimes they deserve it. And sometimes that's the only way to get them to see things. When you're trying to teach an INTJ something, you usually go for the TI critic and you push them to prove why they are correct. They, you tell them they have to categorically prove why they're justified in being so paranoid and, and, why they're, and why they're performing so well that I don't appreciate them whatsoever. They have to prove it. But usually they can't, and then that's usually good enough. However, if they have that FI child God complex in there, that, that going for their TI critic to teach them, because you always teach someone in the critic, may not be good enough then as a result, you have no choice but to like basically door slam them or get them out of your life or effectively abandon them. And then sometimes you have to go so far as to abandon them and publicly shame them at the same time in order for them to really learn. And they will hate you so much for doing that. But then as they get older, they realize, you know, actually, yeah, I was the one in the wrong. And um, that's a very hard life lesson for me to learn. Um, yeah, and I feel bad about taking revenge when I probably shouldn't have, um, but, uh, you know, uh, 
at least uh, at least I'm not that person anymore. I've moved on. I've changed. You know, oftentimes you hear about people who claim about you know, oh, I've changed. I'm a different person. This and this, blah blah blah. That's usually bullshit. That's usually like completely untrustworthy. However, for INJs, out of all of the types, I'd really consider giving them some space on that because there's a very good chance that that might actually be true. Now granted, obviously you don't want to put yourself in a codependent situation where you're being abused on a regular basis. However, INJs, they can, they can actually change. They really can. It just takes a long time and they may have to get up to their death to learn this lesson. It can happen. It'd be a long, long time. The best INJs, especially the best INTJs, are the ones that realize all along that, yeah, maybe I wasn't performing, maybe I was lying, maybe I was just putting up a, a, a perception of some kind, and maybe I was actually doing a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, it was a hard lesson to learn, but, you know, it's technically true. And instead of hating me or hating other people so much, they actually learn to love and appreciate those people because of how powerful those lessons have been for the INTJ. This is actually one of the core teachings that, you know, the Buddha provides, uh, you know, for Buddhists, etc. And it's no wonder that the Buddha uh, is an INTJ. It's, it's, it's no wonder. So anyway, folks, um, that concludes uh, Season 22, Episode 11. If you found this lecture useful, helpful, educational, enlightening, please subscribe to the channel here on YouTube. Leave a like and also put a comment below about INTJs. That would be fantastic. Uh, thank you all for you INTJs who are my viewers. I very much appreciate you, especially Hibernator, the man who complains to me about my content often, about how, you know, I, I should do it this way or I should do it that way. And I'll be honest with you, bro, you're really cool and I'm very thankful you remember my audience. But let's be honest, dude, like, I have so much work to do and so much content. Give me a break. Let me, like, actually produce the content that I need to produce. I get that because, you know, you're a patron and you've seen season 19, this kind of seems, you know, like, uh, like, okay, kind of inclusive, but the thing is not everyone's going to be a patron. People need to still learn about transitions and hopefully you're able to get some gold nuggets out of this presentation instead of like getting upset at me for, you know, not doing it the way you want me to do it. That being said, my any hero is trying to do it the way that you and other people want to do it because it's important to me that people get some good content for what they want. So if you're not cool with that, I understand. It is what it is. But in the meantime, I will continue to go out of my way to deliver a lot of good content. And regardless of the matter, I do actually appreciate your feedback, good sir. So anyway, folks, uh, thank you for watching. And I shall see you guys tonight.